everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right. Um, hey, two quick uh, announcements just before we get into our sermon for today. Um, we're getting to a place in our hiring with some of the needs we have at the church where I am reaching the need, uh, point where I need some help. So I just wanted to make sure that you all knew we are presently looking for a part-time finance manager. Uh, if that's something, this is managing a lot of the financial systems and just being a voice of counsel uh, to me and to the elder board as we move ahead into this next season. If that's something that either you or somebody you know you think they might be interested in, know that we're looking and all of that uh, job description, all that stuff's posted on our website. Second, happy Father's Day. Um, it's Father's Day today and just wanted to honor those of you that are dads in the room, those of you that are expectant dads. Um, and oftentimes, I, I think it continues to be important to me to also honor the fact that some of you, this is your first Father's Day without your dad, and that that belongs here, that you can bring that into this space, and that that's welcome, and I think that there's always work that God would say, I want, I want to talk about that, I want to work through that with you, so know that you're welcome. Um, several years ago, I was on Young Life staff. And Young Life's kind of a funny ministry. Young Life works with teenagers, mainly uh, at this time for me, high school students was who I was working with. And Young Life is, is focused on kids who don't go to church. And so you kind of get a pretty wild conglomeration of people that end up at a wildlife club. And in this particular season, my friends Jesse and Evan and Donovan were at club, at Young Life Club every single week. Now, um, the problem with those three guys is that they were smokers, which is not a problem to me at all. But on this particular night, as we're wrapping up Young Life Club on a Wednesday night, one of the high school girls runs down. She says, hey, there's this lady outside, and she wants to talk with you. So I go out thinking maybe this is a kid's mom or something like that. It turns out it's a neighbor. And um, she knows what's going on. She knows what Young Life is, everything that we've been doing in this home next door. She said, hey, I just want to make sure that you knew that there were some guys that were smoking outside. And I was like, oh my gosh, were they in your yard? Were they in your driveway? Did they leave cigarette butts like in your flower pot? She's like, no, 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 no. They're just, they're just in front of the house. They're just smoking. I was like, okay, yes, yes, I did. Those are my friends, Jesse and Evan and Donovan. She goes, well, what are you going to do about that? I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, you need to like kick them out. Like they can't be here if they're going to do that. And it kicked off this really interesting conversation of like, well, tell me more about why. She's like, well, it's just not right. Like, it's not okay that they're doing that. And if you're not going to tell them to stop, they need to leave. And as we get into this conversation, it just becomes really clear that she is expecting me to be somebody who modifies the behavior of other people. And I did my best to make sure to let her know, I'm not here to tell them that all I'm here to do is to tell them that they belong and that they can work out in their own journey with God what smoking may or may not mean in their life. We've said here at this church before that this is a place where you can, um, where you can belong before you believe. A lot of churches, a lot of groups out there would say, well, first you need to figure out how to behave, and then if you're behaving properly, then you can believe, and then if you're believing, if you're doing all these things right, then you can belong. This is not a place that's like that. You can belong before you believe. At Young Life, you can come and smoke and still be a part of the room. You can still hear the gospel. It's still for you. 
And as we're continuing into our study in the book of Acts today, it's these kind of thoughts, it's this line of thinking that, that is going to be super helpful. Now, there are some times, and I think this chapter, chapter 10 that we're in today, is one of those times where as you're reading the Bible, there can be so much that you're like, I don't understand what's going on. And I think in order to make sure that we're thinking well about this, we're going to need to like have a game show. Are you ready for a game show today? This will be a crowd participation. Give me some music back there, Joe. We're going to play a game called But Is It Kosher? Are you ready? Okay, here's how this game's going to go because we're talking about what's kosher today. If you don't know what this is, Jewish people have kosher laws, things that they can and cannot eat. And we're just going to test the knowledge in the room of what's kosher and what's not. Don't be bashful. There will be some up here that we're like, we have no idea. Just have fun and scream it out. So what you're going to see, we're going to do a test example. I'm going to put an animal on the screen, and you're going to either shout out, okay, or you're going to scream out, not okay, and we're just going to see how we do, okay? Are we ready? Can I hear you scream, okay? okay. Can I hear you scream, not okay? not okay? Okay, here's our test example. Okay, okay. Now keep your own score. Ah, it's okay. For those of you that said okay, well done. And again, if you're like, I have no idea what kosher even means, it doesn't matter. Just yell something. It'll be fun. Give me this next animal. What do we got? Okay, a lamb. A lamb. Can we eat lambs? Can we eat lambs? You bet we can eat lambs. They're delicious. Give me the next one. What's our next animal? Big, not okay. All right. We have some people who understand kosher law. Well done. Well done. Okay, next one. Camels. Can we eat camels? Uh, oh, yeah, a little divide in the room. What do we got? <clears throat> Cannot eat camels. Camels are off the menu. Give me the next one. Turkeys. Is Thanksgiving okay if you're Jewish? What do we got? Yeah, all right. Thanksgiving. We're all safe in America. That's awesome. Okay, give me the next one. A pigeon. Can you eat a pigeon? Not okay. Flying rats. Can we eat pigeons in kosher law? Yes, you can. You can. You bring pigeons to the temple. Very common sacrifice. Give me the next one. If pigeons are okay, what about a cardinal? Can you eat a cardinal? Some of you off principle are like, why would you kill a cardinal? Can we eat this in kosher law? No. No, you can't eat cardinals. Cannot eat cardinals. Hawks, seagulls, vultures. What about an ostrich? Can you eat an ostrich? Have you ever had an ostrich burger? They're delicious. Can we eat ostriches in kosher law? Okay, we're getting down to it. No, no ostriches, no ostriches. Is this, uh, give me one more. Oh yeah, we got a couple more. Can we eat shellfish? Shellfish, this one's an easier one. What do we got? Not okay. And give me, give me one, oh no, okay. Now, there's, there's kind of two answers to this, okay? So, let's shout, is it kosher or not? Yeah, okay, is it kosher or not? Okay, now, I, true confession, can we pause the music for a second, Joe? I just, okay, it's my opinion, strong opinion, that Mother Nature herself is trying to kill these kind of animals. If you have a pug, I am so sorry for you. So, no, we can't eat them. Can we kill them? Depends on how brutal you're feeling on any particular day. But no, you may not eat them. Okay, give me one more, just because, uh, what about lizards? No lizards, no lizards, and then last one, last one. Giraffes, can you eat a giraffe in kosher law? Yeah, I got a strong yes over here. What do we got, Joe? Okay, you can eat giraffes. Now, 
Just to help you think about this, God in the Old Testament, as he's setting up this group of people, and again, as we're getting into Acts 10, this is one of those places in the Bible where if you don't, if you don't stop and go, okay, what does all this mean? None of it makes any sense. So if you rewind the tape and you go all the way back to the beginning, God is taking this group of people, this Jewish group of people, and he's saying, hey, I have chosen you for something deeply important. You're special. You are set aside. And one of the ways I'm going to help you remember that every single day, in fact, every single meal, is that you're going to eat differently than everybody else around you. Now, the ways he did this are incredible. Even the clothes that they could wear, you couldn't have a blend of, of a cotton poly blend. All your clothes needed to be made of one fabric. To him, this idea of you are set apart, you are unique, you are not to combine or compromise. And even in how you eat, the things you're allowed to eat, it matters that you remember that you're different. That's what begins being set up in this Old Testament law. Now, it's awesome because God wrote that down. We call it the Old Testament. If you're Jewish, you would call it Torah. But we have all of these laws, all of these rules that have been written down with the intention of making sure these people understand that they're set aside. Now, part of the problem, and there's beauty in it, is that this Jewish group of people took that role super seriously and said, look, if he's gonna write down these things, we actually need to think further on what are all the other things that we need to make sure that we're doing so that we don't break any of these written laws. And so if you're Jewish, you, you not only have the written law, but you also have something called the oral law. And by the time that we're catching up to the time of Jesus, they've taken these commandments and they've made 613 of them that help them safeguard and make sure they're not gonna break any of the written commandments. So the difference between the written law and the oral law is that the oral law starts to get way more granular and it actually becomes some of the stuff that God didn't say. It's just the human's way, these Jewish people's way of trying to make sure that they're doing it right. Now, it's really interesting when we look at how Jesus looks at these things because when it comes to the written law, Jesus will defend and he will teach these written laws without fail. With the oral laws, those will often be the things that he is challenging all the time, that he is helping people think through, is that really what was meant? Or is that just your attempt to try and do it right? And by the time that we're catching up to our story today, this idea of food becomes a big deal. Because if you're Jewish, you can't have shellfish, and you can't eat pugs. And there, there was a very clear distinguishment of if you're somebody who does, we can have nothing to do with you. In fact, as the oral law would continue to be written out, not only can you not eat those types of things, but if you do, you're actually not okay either. You're an unclean person. And as the Jews continue to build their national identity, there's just a sense of we can get clean, everybody else is not okay and they're never gonna be. They're unclean. And then we catch up to our story today. Now, all of this, hopefully, is helpful background. Chapter 10 is 48 verses of one story, and it's amazing, and we're gonna read through it together right now. Um, we've been doing this often lately. I think this is one of those opportunities, if you're a visual, I need to read it on the screen, of course, follow along. 
But if you're somebody who can handle either closing your eyes or just kind of sitting back in your chair and imagining the scenes that are going to happen, I think it's so worth letting your imagination jump into this story. So today, we are in Acts chapter 10, continuing our series, and we're going to meet a new character today, and we're going to meet an old character today, and it starts like this. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. What do you call him for short? Corny, (laughs) Neil, Nellie, whatever you want to do there. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision, which makes sense because if you're a devout follower of God, you tend to pray at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 6 p.m., in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, He called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as those guys were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a roof to pray. He had become hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance, which, just to make sure we're on the same page, no mushrooms involved, this is like a vision. He saw that heaven opened he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down being lowered to the ground by its four corners in it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air in which with the game that we just played everyone gasps these are not all okay then he heard a voice saying get up peter kill and eat Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said again to him a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and suddenly that thing was taken up into heaven. I want to play this out, because the text will move on, but it would have sounded like this. We've heard that once. But he's like having a staring contest now with God as God then doubles down and says, hey, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Staring contest. Peter, get up, kill, and eat. No. I have never, never eaten one of those things. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. And suddenly that sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. 
They were asking for Simon's house and they were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Get up and go down and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish people, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in, and he gave them lodging. The next day, he got up, and he went with them. And some of the brothers and sisters from Joppa accompanied him. I just want to pause on that note. I just think it's so important. Men and women, these are folks who are going along with him are going to be witnesses to whatever it is that's going to happen. And to be a witness in this day and age means that your voice matters. Men and women, brothers and sisters from Joppa, accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him. Falling at his feet, he worshipped him, which actually is a super common greeting in this day and age. He's not confused. He's just courteous. Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up. I'm only a mortal. And he talked with him. And he went in, and he found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it's improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Which is not like a great way to win friends and influence people, right? Like he basically just walked in the door and he's like, I don't really want to be here. What do you want? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say, which I find to be hilarious because Peter's like, he hasn't told me to say anything. I just saw a bunch of lizards on a bed sheet. Like, I got nothing. And you, like, Corny is just rolling up, like, sits down in his chair with all of his family and his best buddies behind him, just like, like a golden retriever wagging his tail, like, what do you got? Like, I just knew that God was going to send you. Like, what, what's he got for you? <laughs> Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. To which all these brothers and sisters who are Jewish that he brought alongside him go, <gasps> you know, the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him 
on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, non-Jews. What is happening? And they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? God already got a head start on this deal. We better catch up. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they invited him to stay for several days. Acts chapter 10. Whew. Okay. What just happened? We know that lizards, pugs, are not on the menu. But there seems to be a lot more going on in this story. So let's break it down a little bit. Cornelius, Corny, Neil, Nellie, our dude. He's not a convert. It's really interesting as you look at this guy. If you were Roman, if you were any other nationality than Jesus, you could hang out with Jewish people. You could study Jewish law. You could actually convert to being a Jewish person yourself. This guy seems to love the God of the Jews. I mean, he is devout. He's praying at the times when you're supposed to pray. He's giving generously of what he has. Why hasn't he yet converted? And it's not unusual. There are many accounts of Romans who were intrigued by this God of the Jews. They loved the morality that came with him. They loved the monotheism. Let's simplify this thing a little bit that came with him. But they were turned off by some of the rituals, particularly this idea of circumcision, which I can't blame them at, the, at that point in time. That's going to become a big deal. I mean, you can even hear the folks who came with Peter as all of this is happening towards the end of the story, they go, but they're uncircumcised. That will continue to be a big deal as we get into chapters 11 and 12. Just tuck that away in your memory. We've got Cornelius. He's not a convert, but this dude is leaning in. He's a man of prayer who looks and listens to God. He calls together all of his close friends, his relatives. He loves his tribe, but he's also convinced that he has stumbled on something true. I don't know if you caught this, but in the way that that works, when he falls down at Peter's feet and worships him, they are outside his house. Like you almost get this sense of, if you know the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father, he is waiting at the window. And as soon as he sees Peter, he's off like a shot, falls down at his feet. I'm so glad you're here. They have this brief interaction and then he takes Peter inside his house and his whole family, all of his best friends are just sitting there. It's a party. That's amazing. And finally, I, I just, I love this little detail. The way he retells the story and you still catch it the first time that he interacts with this angel. The second time he says, your prayer has been heard. What had Cornelius been praying for? 
It doesn't tell us super obviously in the text, but as you start to connect all the dots, it seems like it would be something like, God, I want to serve you. I want to be a part of this Jesus movement. I just don't know how. I don't know where, where I fit in. I don't even know if I belong, if that's possible, but that's what I want. That's a beautiful desire. Can you picture Cornelius? He's a good dude. Then we have Peter. This is the leader of the church at the time. Already in the book of Acts, we've seen him lead so many key conversations. Why isn't he in Jerusalem where he should be? I think it's important to remember Stephen just died not too long ago. People who are followers of the way of Jesus are running in every direction. Persecution is happening. There's this dude whose name is Saul, Saul, and he's been on the prowl intentionally assassinating followers of Jesus. So why isn't he in Jerusalem? I think he's probably avoiding persecution. It's not safe there. He's already afraid, but simultaneously, I think Peter is a guy who's trusting God to provide from for what's next. He's learned at least that much in his life. So as we catch up to Peter, this is a total dude moment. Dude's hungry. (laughs) He's waiting for lunch. And while they're making lunch downstairs, he decides to go up on the roof and have some time in prayer. But the dude's just hungry. And then he has a food dream, which I can relate. Like, this is awesome. This sheet of food descends from heaven. Now, I think this is where we're going to start to see There's been places in our church history where we have mangled this story. And to understand food, that's okay and not okay, but to understand what happens in this interaction with this angel, this is huge. Some people read this passage as a justification that we no longer have to pay attention to the Old Testament. That in this moment that God is essentially laying down a metaphorical Old Testament saying, none of this matters anymore. Kill and eat whatever you want. All kinds of four-footed animals are on this thing. Not every kind of four-footed animal is okay if you're Jewish. Lizards are on this thing. Those are off the menu. All the birds of the air, not all of them are okay. This is a problem. If we look more closely at what's going on, we have to remember this is a God who is consistent and he is faithful and he is intentional. And we have a Jewish man who is devout who has spent time with Jesus, who now holds oral law suspect but is committed to the written law just like his rabbi Jesus was. If God's throwing out the Old Testament, he is doing something radically different that he did not do through the person of Jesus Christ. So to say that that's what's going on in the story I think misses the point completely. What is going on in this story? God says, kill and eat. I get to hang out um, with my friend Mitch Penser. Mitch plays bass here sometimes, but Mitch teaches classics and Greek at CU, amongst other places. And last year when we were going through Matthew, as we've been going through Acts, we meet about every three weeks, and he will read to me the book of Acts in the Greek. It's amazing. Like, he just does it on the fly because he's brilliant. And every now and again, he'll be like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And as we were reading this story, we had one of those moments where he goes, oh, that's interesting. That word kill right there, It means more than just like go slaughter something. That's actually the word that you use pretty specifically for like a temple sacrifice, like a a ritual sacrifice. There's a sense of it's not just kill and eat something. It's like do this in conjunction with your worship of God. So God is saying, hey, look at all these things, lizards, pugs, whole thing, kill and eat. 
God is saying, make a sacrifice to me and then you eat it too with creatures, things that I clearly don't want, things that you know about from the written law, things that are unchanging. And this is so confusing. I mean, Peter's gonna hear this three times and get to the end and be like, I still don't understand what's going on. And I think it's because God's being a bit cheeky here with what he's doing. He is intentionally provoking Peter to think. God was saying, do you want to give me something? Do you, or do something that I don't want? Do you want to do something I don't want? Why would I give you something you don't want, Peter would say. Why would I do things you don't want me to do? Which leaves him asking the question, what is it that you do want me to do? What is your heart? What do you want? And he makes it clear. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. And Peter's standing there, pockets turned out like, I have it. Lizards, not okay. Camels, not okay. Like, I know the answers to these things. You're telling me not to call unclean what you have called clean. Check. I get it. And then I think he's dialing it back then too, going, what is this about? Because it's not about me not getting it with these animals on the sheep, but could it be elsewhere? When you look further into Jewish tradition, they would typically look at what God was going to do and assume that it was only for the Jewish people. So considering that anything that God was going to do in the future could also include people who weren't Jewish was totally mind-bending. And as he's sitting with this riddle, this Rubik's Cube, turning it over and over and over in his mind, the answer literally walks through the front door. A Roman soldier, a couple of Roman slaves, people who were not okay to hang out with. You could catch being dirty from them. They're not okay to be around. And at its core, this story is pushing this idea, what is it that God wants? And Peter is wrestling. Peter begins with something that's deeply Middle Eastern, hospitality, come on in. But asking somebody else to come stay under your roof, on your turf, to play by your rules, is different than by going to where they are. So when he chooses to go to Cornelius' house, it's a big deal. Not okay, the entire room would scream out loud at the same time. And he chooses to stay with Cornelius. Not okay, the room would scream all at the same time. And he chooses to eat with them. Definitely not okay. Peter is becoming ritually unclean in this process. But I think he's starting to piece together it's not because the people are unclean. What God called clean, don't call unclean. Lizards, not okay. Giraffes, they're all right, kind of weird. Don't eat cardinals. People? I'm so down on people. I love people. I, I be love people. They are mine. I think God in this story is saying, I want you. Dirty people. Unclean people. I want you, all of you, and each of you. And as this story goes on, the people start to murmur. We'll see next week that news travels fast. I heard that he went into his house. I heard that he ate with him. I heard he ate with his whole family and with his friends in the house. And it probably started to spiral. I'm like, I heard he ate his friends. Like this, this, to them, it was so mind-blowing that this could have happened. So what does this story mean for us? God wants the messed up. 
and the dirty and the outcast, does his church, do you, do I? All throughout scripture, as God was teaching the Jewish people what it meant to be his people, to be set aside, to be special, there were key groups that he would circle back to over and over and over again. The immigrant and the orphan and the widow. And he knew that if he could teach everyone in this nation to see themselves in the faces of the needy and the marginalized, they wouldn't just go through the motions of caring for them but they would care for them out of this abiding love that they held because they could see themselves in them. And today, this same idea carries just as far. If you want to understand God's heart, it all begins with personally identifying as messed up and dirty and outcast. People of faith can sometimes be quick to determine what makes you in or out and then quickly shuffle to the side of in and exclude all who are out. And God here seems to be correcting this very move that Peter was beginning to make and assuming into the way of Jesus. Peter, everybody can be in. Don't call people out who are not out. That's the point of this story. And by the time he's sitting down in Cornelius' house, and by the time he's looking over this whole crowd of people who have come with bated breath to hang on every word, the first things out of his mouth as he sits down in, the word, in that room is verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This story is not about food. It's not about whether the Old Testament is valid anymore or not. This story is about people. It justifies and furthers the story of the Old Testament. Peter is still to eat kosher. He is Jewish. He has a consistent and an intentional God. Gentiles still do not have to eat kosher because they were never commanded to do so. And that doesn't matter. What matters in the story is that everyone on earth is called good. And that, according to verse 42, Anyone who believes in Jesus is given forgiveness for their sins, free of charge. There are many who feel as though the church or Christians call them profane or unclean. There's a famous old quote by somebody named Celia Brammer. Um, you might have heard this before. It's been made into a famous phrase. Don't, don't drink, don't smoke, don't curse, don't chew, and don't make friends with those who do. This is what's okay, that's what's not okay, draw the line and stay on the right side. Historically, racism in the world and in America and in the American church has drawn lines. And it's strange that with tomorrow, as Juneteenth, how many people oppose celebrating the liberation of slaves in our country or find it politically suspect to endorse that thought. This is a place, the church, not just our church, where we celebrate the equality of all people, the liberation of anyone enslaved, but more importantly, the fact that we are all called beloved. Equally close to us today, whether you actively or passively participate in it, the LGBTQ community is today's most striking demographic that would report this feeling. 
One of my friends that I hang out with, a uh, dude that I'm discipling, my friend Josh, has been reading this book called Us Versus Us by an author named Andrew Marin. Super intriguing book. But one of the studies that he publishes in this book is, you want to know that the most common reasons that LGBTQ plus folks leave communities, Christian or faith communities, after the age of 18? There's three main categories that folks will fall into, and then 42% are a myriad of other things. But the three main ones that folks fall into is this. Theological considerations. I just disagree with how you read scripture or what God says. 21% of LGBTQ folks who leave faith communities would say, that's why I left. Institutional misgivings. I just don't like how the church is run or how things are going, 13%. But at 24%, the number one reason that's identifiable, that's consistent that people over the age of 18 leave the church is because of negative personal experiences. Let me bring out the band as I wrap up with some closing thoughts for today. I want you to know that in God's kingdom and as best as we can do it in this broken world and broken church that's doing its best, if you drink, if you smoke, if you curse and if you chew, if you're black or white or Muslim or Jew, if you're gay or bi or beyond the queue, know that you are loved no matter what you've done or what's been done to you. We're all dirty people, kids in a mud puddle, loved by a doting God who longs for us to come out of our filth and be cleaned up by him and to become who we were always supposed to be. We are not loved when we become clean. We are loved now. You are loved right now. Letting him clean us off is simply our response to receiving that love instead of continuing to run away from it. We all come into this room carrying a lot. Stories and hopes, fears, diagnosis, pain, and compassion. And there is one question that every human being is wrestling with all the time. Where do I belong? In this grand story, Cornelius is just one more place where we realize we belong here. We all belong here, not in this particular church building, but in the embrace of a God who's gathering his kids back to him. And here's the catch. There's no perfect people allowed. It's only the dirty that are wanted. As Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And for those who can recognize their position, the position of alien, orphan, widow, marginalized, dirt, grime, the sickness and the sin, their inability to clean themselves up. One look at our Heavenly Father, and He's on His way to pull us out. You are loved, you are wanted, you are cleaned up and embraced. And all the while, you are made a window by which the world can look through and see the God that you hold on to. And as you do so, hopefully in learning better who you were and who you are now, you can look into any person like Cornelius and Peter both learned to do that day. And you never again see a human being as a lost cause or as less than 
or as they don't belong or profane or unclean. But as you look around and receive the world and perceive the world and engage the world, that in every eye you meet, you see a child of God. There's a lot going on in this story. There are things that were just said that you're like, it kind of put me on pins and needles. Gosh, then you've got it. Peter and everyone in that room is gasping through this entire story. The next several chapters of Acts, people are gasping through the story because they can't believe that that's how this works. And as this group of Jewish folks who are going to become increasingly more than just Jewish are flipping back into their Old Testament going, this still matters, this is still valid, it's been there the entire time. God's always been about all people the entire time. It's mind-blowing. However you're coming into this time, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, I would just hope this is good news. I think this is something that in our country, in our community, in all of the systems, this is a way to live that comes from God in a way that we need to live so badly. This is part of what it looks like to heal the world. And you're invited. In a moment, for those who are able, we're just going to stand. And these songs that we're going to sing have so much to do with just saying, God, whatever you want, I'm in. And wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I would just invite you, take these words to heart. Think about them as you sing them. And let's enjoy singing them together in a room of people that want to live this way. Let's stand and sing.